I don't know. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Quantum Catechesis. I'm Father Joe Krupp, and you are not. And today, today, today is Wednesday, November 8th? 9th. 9th? Because we just got out of that time warp, remember, Carrie? Uh, today is, no, what is it? November 9th, the year of our Lord, 2022. And I'm so happy to be here with you today. I want to remind you that Friday, I'm hosting a trivia night over in our parish hall to crush all of you in love or some crap like that. Uh, so get your team together and sign up. And come on out. And I will not be participating. I'll be reading the questions and emceeing the night. Uh, although I do have to say, for all of my trash talk, do you remember this? Two years ago, I didn't emcee it. I participated in it. And I was ready to smoke, in the words of the gospel, smoke all you fools. Uh, to bust my intellectual nine. I don't know. I'm trying to come up with a... <laughs> Bust my anyway, I finished third. No, it was bad. But they had like categories. One was musicals. And I got every one of them wrong. Seriously. They were like, in this musical, I'm and it turns out when I throw up. I hate musicals, bro. But anyway, so now I'm emceeing it. And I helped create a couple of the questions. Just a few. This is my evil... So remember to, oh, I can't think of something funny to say. Isn't that funny? So come on out on Friday. Is there food? There is food. There will be food. There will be liquid refreshment. And there will be trivia of the utmost importance, just for irony's sake. Yeah. Not trivia, trivia. Right. Not just trivia, trivia. But this is like how you doing trivia. I remember, uh, I think I told you this. I took the little thing. I did the online thing to get on Jeopardy. Oh. And I made it. Did you do? Oh, you did. Oh, yeah. But I didn't go on the show, obviously. But it Maybe was so funny. My buddy Chris was teasing me. He was like, if you get on there, it's going to be one of two sets of categories. And one is going to be like pop music of the 90s, uh, musicals, and in science. Or it's going to be like Hebrew history, Roman history, the Bible, <laughs> Catholic. Right? It's going to be all or nothing, you know. But... Anyway, uh, what were we talking about? Oh, I so think we should do that again. The I, I don't think I would do well. I'm, I'm forgetting a lot. I've noticed that. I'm not as uh, well. Plus, I don't know anything about current stuff anymore. I'm just out of it. Um, uh, apparently, there was an election yesterday. All kidding aside, by the way, if you're from the state of Michigan and you are heartbroken about the passage of Proposal 3, uh, on my Facebook page, and I think on Bishop Earl's Facebook page, he made a little three-minute video, and it blew me away. It's so encouraging and so beautiful, and I am so proud of our bishops who uh, led us in this fight. Um, it was hilarious. I saw this in a, an article from Grand Rapids, some news channel there, and they were like, the Proposal 3 debate, more money was spent on that than all the other races combined. Do you know what our budget was? Ten grand. When they say more money was spent, it was by Planned Parenthood in the ACLU. There was no... We don't have that kind of cash. Um, and I don't know how those rules work. Planned Parenthood received $750 million from the government last year. Now, can they spend that on politics? I bet they do. I bet, yeah. So they used your money. Okay. <laughs> anyway, hey, whatever laws passed can't stop us from loving, from sacrificing, from giving. So we just keep rolling, man. Uh, God calls us to be faithful, not successful. Uh, yeah, so there it is. Today as a church, we have an unusual feast. So I thought, why not talk to you about it? Um, because it is an unusual feast. It's one of the few where we have a church feast about the dedication of a church, not a saint. Yeah, And it's often called St. John Lateran, but there's no such church. There's no St. John Lateran. The name of the church is John Lateran. Uh, and we'll get into that uh, now. In fact, I think I'll just go. Okay, so I'm going to do it. We're going to do some history. 
Um, and uh, let me see. So I got extensive notes on this, and I just lost me spot. Okay, so first we start pre-Christianity with the Lateran Palace. It was built by Septimius Severus in 193 uh, as the, did I say pre-Christ? Did I say pre-Christian? Oh, good. Because this is, sorry, pre-legalized Christianity. Uh, this Lateran fort was, quote, the new fort of the Roman Imperial Cavalry Bodyguards. Yeah. Or as they used to be called, they used an acronym. That's not true at all. Uh, so Septimius Severus, who was the emperor, uh, although, again, they did not call him emperor. We call them emperor. They called him princeps. Uh, they were still faking a republic at this point. Okay. Uh, so in 193, they build a little fort, not so little, uh, a new fort for the Roman Imperial Cavalry Bodyguard. Now, when you jump ahead to Constantine, Okay. Uh, when he uh, fought at the battle, he fought who? Maxentius. At the Battle of the Milvian Bridge, his victory, one of the first things he did traditionally, this was right near Rome, then the winning general walks into Rome to woohoo, yay, right? And they have a parade to the Temple of Jupiter, right? Jupiter, who they said, Jupiter, the biggest and the best, uh, or the greatest and the best. He didn't. Um... He went to where this fort uh, used to be. And uh, why? Well, he he's vague. And Constantine was genius at this. He convinced the Christians he was conv- Christian and convinced everybody else he wasn't. Um, it was kind of a genius, weird play. And it's a long story, but we won't get into it. So when he got there, uh, what he had found was the fort had been uh, abandoned and demolished. And what's interesting, by the way, is if you go to John Lateran and you get you got to get a lot of permissions, you go under the nave and you can still see the ruins of that original Roman fort. Isn't that cool? Now, the remainder of that site, because it was a big site, was occupied uh, during the early Roman Empire. And uh, this guy, and this is where the name comes, uh, Sexius Lateranus. And he was the first plebeian to attain the rank of consul, which during this time of fake republic was supposed to be the most powerful position. So the way the Roman Republic worked when it was a republic is you had the Optimates and you had the Johnsons. There were two political parties. And uh, the Optimates and the Populari, the the Populists and the Optimates, basically Republicans and Democrats in that order. And this will shock you, but same has happened here in a two-party system. Nothing ever gets done except plebeians killing each other for the rich people who pretend. Yeah? Um, But you had this office called consul who was the highest rank within that republic. Now, once you get to Caesar Augustus, he slowly whittled down the power of the consul until it became, what do you say, a paper tiger. Maybe. And in this case, the consul was a very honored position because of what it used to mean. And so it was only then that they let a plebeian have power, uh, the appearance of power. Okay, so he was the first guy who was a pleb to attain the rank of consul. And that place was where he had his administration. And uh, Nero eventually, Nero had confiscated the land and it belonged to the emperor. So anyway, the Lateran Palace was eventually given to the Bishop of Rome by Constantine I. uh, And it eventually became the home of Pope St. Sylvester I. So Pope Sylvester presided over the dedication of it as an archbasilica. And he also uh, took the palace that was next to it and named it the home. So this was in the year 324. Christianity had only been legal for about 10 years. He declared, Pope Sylvester did, this Lateran area to be, quote, the Domus Dei, the house of God. 
and he put the Pope's chair, his cathedra, that's how they said it, inside of it and made it the cathedral of the Pope Bishop of Rome. Um, so this is the big step that we celebrate today. This is the day in history when in the year 324, they finished building a church over the ruins of this Roman fort and they dedicated the palace and the church and said, this is the Pope's church. Now you may remember in our whole thing on the papacy at this point, the papacy was not like you see it now. Uh, the Pope was basically uh, had the same authority he has now, quote, first among equals. All of his power is assumed. And back then, there weren't enough Christians where this really mattered. Um, the Pope didn't have a special rights or privileges. Quite literally, he was just a dude. They usually had other jobs. Um, and his job was to make sure that the other bishops were all teaching in union with the successors of the apostles. What was that? There was some prestige with this, but not as much as you might think. But either way, he had the authority to do what he did. Namely, when you're Pope, this is your parish. And every Catholic in the world is a member of this parish. That's why you get sent envelopes every year. I'm just kidding. That's not true. Although I would not leave it uh, yeah, the, the Romans would do that you know, if they figured out how. Now, what he did, and this is still on the doors, if I remember right. I think it's on the doors, but don't quote me. Uh, I'll read it. It's in Latin, but here's what it says in English. Quote, most holy Lateran church of all the churches in the city and the world, it's mother and head. Okay, so this is our church. You may think, well, what about St. Pete's? Hey, wasn't built yet. Uh, in its present form, and B, it did not have this demarcation that this is the Pope's parish and we are all parishioners. Um, This was really, I believe, the first major church building in Rome under a legalized Christianity. Uh, One of the big misnomers that you were probably taught was that Constantine, quote, made Christianity legal. Kinda. What Constantine did was he said it in this uh, called Edict of Milan. I believe it was Edict of Milan. Yeah. He wrote that it is now illegal to persecute anyone because of their religion. And then he further declared that if anybody's property was confiscated because of their religion, it had to be returned. Okay, that was a big deal because that's what they did to Christians. They took their property, they confiscated it. So anyway, cool stuff. So now we'll jump to the Middle Ages. Uh, they were this archbasilica was dedicated, rededicated twice. Okay. Pope Sergius the third dedicated them to St. John the Baptist in the 10th century. Okay. Sorry, guys. I had to blow this font up a little. There we are. And he dedicated it to St. John the Baptist. Um, and he did this because they had just finished building the baptistry there. Now, back then, most churches, baptistries, were separate buildings. If you want to see a great example of it, go to, come Holy Spirit, Florence, and go to a church they just call the Duomo. That thing is huge. You have, I don't know that I've ever seen a church that big. Um, and it's a stunner. Now, Across the road from it is a smaller church, and it's a circle, uh, and it's beautiful, and it's big, and that's the baptistry. And then there's a little, um, the bricks are all different between the baptistry and the church, and they used to be gold, not real gold, of course. Uh, And that was the road to heaven. Namely, you got baptized, and then you processed into church for your first mass. Isn't that cool? Yeah. St. Augustine was baptized there, I think. Don't quote me. I was wrong once before. I forget what it was about. (laughs) So anyway, when they built the baptistry, they decided to stop calling it just Lateran Church, and they named it, uh, they dedicated it to St. John the Baptist. So that's where people get confused and say John Lateran. But there was no such person. There was St. John the Baptist, and there was Lateran Church. 
Okay, So the Lateran Church was first dedicated to St. John the Baptist. And when you go there, uh, if you look way up on the uh, rough, you'll see a lot of people think it's Jesus, but it's actually John the Baptist. Okay, um, Pope Lucius II dedicated them to St. John the Evangelist in the 12th century. So we're just throwing some Johns at this, right? John the Baptist, John the Evangelist. Thus, St. John the Baptist and St. John the Evangelist are the co-patrons for the Archbasilica. The primary patron is Christ the Savior. Um, and how do we know that? Well, it's inscribed on the door. So we don't know when that happened. We just know at some point it happened. How are we doing so far? Are people happy? Yep. Okay. So every pope, beginning with Pope Miltiades, I have trouble saying his name. Let's just call him Uncle Milt, <laughs> occupied the Lateran Palace. So that's where the pope lived, at the palace attached to John Lateran Church. Um, this was all the way until the reign of the French Pope Clement V, who you may remember this, we talked about this, in 1309 transferred all of the papacy to Avignon. It's called the Avignon Papacy. Um, and this was a papal fiefdom that was uh, in France. Uh, the Lateran Palace uh, it was still important because there had been five ecumenical councils there. Uh, but, as you can imagine, it started to fall into disrepair. Everything was now in France. They were eating cheese. So, actually, a little piece of trivia. I don't know if you know this. No, I was going to make a French fry joke. I'm sorry. Okay. So, while the papacy was seated in Avignon, France, the Lateran Palace and the Archbasilica de deteriorated. Two fires ravaged them, 1307 and 1361. And after both fires, the Pope sent money from Avignon to pay for their reconstruction and maintenance. But they still were falling apart. Uh, now, the papacy eventually, as you know, returned from Avignon, and the Pope also resided then back in Rome. The uh, When they got back, the Pope deemed that the palace was uh, inadequate uh, uh, so uh, because of all the damage. So then after that is when the Popes moved out of Lateran. Now, eventually, the Palace of the Vatican was built adjacent right to St. Pete's, uh, which you've seen, and you're like, doesn't look like a palace. I know. It just looks like an apartment complex with marble. Uh, but go inside. Oh, my. Oh, you can't. I can. Yeah. You're just lady. It's not your fault. It's your parents' fault. Uh, all kidding aside, the popes uh, moved in there, and they've been there ever since. What? Oh, I was kidding. It's not your parents' fault. It's yours. So now this Basilica of St. Peter, it did exist since the time of Constantine the First, but it, uh, again, the popes never lived there until they got back from Avignon, saw the Lateran Palace, and went, oh, no thanks, just like Jesus would, and moved to a beautiful palace next to St. Peter's. Since then, the popes have lived there, and except for, can you name the pope who did not live in the Vatican City? I'll give you a hint. Yes. He's alive. Yeah. Is it Francis? Francis. Yeah. Francis bought an apartment, uh, a kitchen, two bedrooms. Have you seen those pictures of him? It just cracks me up. I remember the first month he was Pope, and I'm dead serious. He's got his lunch, and he's just walking down the street in his white cassock, so it's like the Pope. <laughs> it's like going to work. You could just see him. I wish he had a travel mug. That's the only thing missing, right? If he's got his briefcase and his travel mug, what's up? Yeah, today's going to suck. I hate Mondays. Anyway. So, but isn't that weird? Can you think of it? You're walking, and it's true. They said that now the Romans know to kind of leave him alone to some extent. Just let the brother go to work. But he walks or takes the bus to work. I bet he is the luck. We'll be back after a quick break. Are you looking for peace and joy? 
Do you want to refresh your life and raise your well-being? You need Create Harmony. At Create Harmony, we focus on everyday joys and we savor life's blessings. Our episodes are filled with creativity and fun, and we believe in setting an intentional rhythm. Listen in to Create Harmony to learn how to use your imagination as a way of listening to God and remind yourself how to notice goodness all around you. Oh, oh yeah, he gets the pastor look, yes. right? Uh, yeah. So the tr- uh, in the meantime, so from uh, the end of the Avignon Papacy, they worked on that church all the time. And if you go there today, they're working on it. These are Italians. Uh, I, I remember I went there. It was so funny. I'm going to get my years mixed up. But it was like 96. I went there scaffolding everywhere. And then the next four times I went there, there was scaffolding everywhere and nothing had been done. And then I went there the last time was 20, when did I move here? 18, 2017, same scaffoldings, which is hysterical. And they are plugging away. It's just, uh, how did that one guy say it? Well, it was John Paul II. When they said, how many people work in the Vatican? And he said about a third. Yeah. Now during the Second World War, Lateran reemerged as a place of import. Why? Because Pope Pius XII instructed and spent money on turning it into a place where Jews could hide. Uh, Who was it? I can't remember the guy who wrote the book about this, but about how Lateran was, quote, bursting with Jews. Uh, They would forge them baptismal certificates. They would dress them as priests and just quite literally pack them into the Lateran palace and the church, the daughters of Charity and uh, of St. Vincent de Paul, and the 60 orphan refugees they cared for uh, were ordered out of their convent by uh, the dictator. So what did I do? Oh, so they fled and ended up at Lateran Palace. Um, And uh, yeah, okay, for their efforts, the uh, two guys, uh, whose names I can't pronounce, but it's Hamvedesori and Vedesinema, uh, were both recognized by Israel and had trees planted in the forest of the righteous. Do you know about this at Yad Vashem? In, uh, in Israel, there's a place called Yad Vashem, and uh, what's his butt has a tree there? Um, Schindler, Pope. Pius uh, has a tree there. They can't build statues, right? It's against their religion. So instead they plant a tree and that person's name is on the tree. And this is the force of the righteous, the Gentiles who sacrificed and or died to save Jews. Now I got to scroll all the way up for a question. Um, Okay, as chief steward of the United Federation of Lowly Lay Trash Local 770, I plan to file a group grievance to get us access to the Lateran restricted areas. That's got to be Uncle Lonnie. Is that Uncle Lonnie? It's not going to work, Applegate. I love that dude. Um, Is it true he also does not wear the red shoes? Lonnie? No, he wears red shoes. Uh, usually when he's alone in his room and dancing about. They talking about Pope Francis? I don't know. I don't know. Does he wear the... Prada? Isn't Prada the name? Do they make luxury stuff? Yeah. I know they always made red shoes for the Pope, and I, I don't know if the brother wears them. I know he's got tons of back and knee problems. Well, he's in a wheelchair now, but I don't I know. know. Is that permanent? I don't know. I I just think the brother doesn't know how to quit. I don't mean to... No, I, I think the part of it's uh, hitting with uh, John Paul II. I don't know. You're showing the suffering. I mean, it's, yeah. we don't like to get old. We don't like to face it. Yeah. But it's part of life. Yep. So yep. You, you just accept it. Well, remember when New York Times wrote that awful thing uh, about John Paul II drooling when he was talking. 
And uh, what's his name? Uh, Monsignor Jeevish, who was the Pope's aide, yeah. said, no, he wants to show us how to suffer with right. dignity. Right. I mean, yeah. Nice, yeah. <laughs> For his double pump 360 yeah. Yeah. windmill reverse tomahawk dunks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did you ever see that picture of him? I was just telling Jesse about this. Him and Pope Benedict watching yeah. soccer together, and they're drinking beer. Yes. And it's just these two sweet old men, and you're like, oh, my oh, God. The two popes, they did that in the Two Popes movie. They they did. Did. Oh, did they? Yeah, okay. So here it says Pope Francis chose to wear the red shoes only indoors and always wears the black shoes outdoors. That's okay, so the Sorry. Holy Father wears the red shoes indoors, and I'll bet that's about authority. You know what I mean? Like for Romans, signs of office are big. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he's, you know, scurrying back and forth, I just love that. You're on the po- you're on the bus, and you're looking. It's the Pope, yes. and he puts sugar in his coffee. Um, I don't know. See, I'm trying to go easy. I have so much information here because I love John Lateran. I love that church. It was my mom's favorite church. Um, I could go on and on. Uh, I don't know. There's a ton of art in there that'll stop your heart. Uh, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to share. Uh, so... Just real quick, right? So I've given you some of the history, but in 897, an earthquake crashed the church, right? And uh, it's the Roman records say this, ad altare usique ad portas secerditi, quote, it collapsed from the altar to the doors, right? There was just nothing left. The damage was so extensive that they actually had a tough time finding the outline of the building, yeah. Uh, now, where they could find it, they respected those lines and built it there. Now, that stood for 400 years until the fire I told you about in 1308. And then Pope Clement V and John XXIII rebuilt it. And then it was destroyed again in 1360 and rebuilt by Pope Urban V. Now, you might be thinking, what's up with all the fires? Well, there were a lot of smokers. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Guys, everything's made of wood, and there's no electricity. So how do you light things? Fire. And if you've been to Italy, you know it gets dry there, huh? Um, Except for August. Oh, my gosh. If you ever want to fly to Italy, and you go, why are the tickets so cheap in July and August? Because it's hell. Uh, And you know what's funny? They leave. You go there, and Rome is usually like worst case scenario for someone like me. There are humans touching you all the time, right? It's just packed with humans. City life is demonic. But uh, they all leave in August uh, because it is miserable hot and it stinks. Like the air is thick and it stinks. Um, So don't do that. Now, to me, the highlight of the church are the statues of the 12 apostles. Uh, There are 12 niches, N-I-C-H-E-S, I I never know how to say that. Uh, Do you know what I found out just a few years ago? Like, you know, I I think I told you, I I, I struggle with dyslexia, and I mix up letters. I thought the word was koisk, and I'd said it most of my life. This was just like eight years ago, I found out it's kiosk. And I always wondered, why? What, what is the difference between a kiosk and a koisk? Now I know. I'm the difference. Isn't that great? I was, they'd be like, oh, that's a kiosk. I'm like, how do they know it's not a koisk? But I didn't want to ask. Do you know how I found out I was saying it wrong? Uh, the tour of the Pentagon. My buddy Chad gave me this tour of of the Pentagon and he talked about how, if you've ever seen it, now it's five sides. But in the middle it's empty except for a courtyard with this kiosk in the middle. And what they found out when the Soviets declassified all their stuff, what was it, 91, 93, 95, they found out that they were targeting one missile just to that kiosk because what they noticed is everybody was going in and out of it every day. It's a bathroom. 
<laughs> they thought it was like this intelligence hub. Uh, but anyway, why are we talking about this? Kiosk. I remember Chad said kiosk, and I knew I could ask him because he's that guy. I goes, bro, what's the difference between a kiosk and a koisk? And you have to know Chad. Ready? Well, one exists and the other doesn't. <laughs> Props to Chad Miller. Um, so. In 1702, Pope Clement XI and a cardinal whose last name shall not be mentioned because I can't pronounce it, um, it ends with an I, so he's Italian. They announced they were going to build a commission, 12 sculptures of the apostles bigger than life to fill these niches. Um, the premier sculptors of the day applied. Uh, each statue was sponsored by a prince, with the Pope himself sponsoring that of St. Peter. Uh, most of the sculptors were given a uh, picture, uh, what do you say, a sketch, uh, by Pope Clement's favorite painter, uh, to which they had to adhere. Um, uh, it was funny. Uh, one of them, a, a guy named uh, Pierre uh, Lagro, the younger, who was one of the premier sculptors of the day, didn't like the sketch he was given, and he refused to do it. So then they were like, well, then you can't make the statue. And he was like, well, then you're not going to have a statue from me. And they were like, duh, whatever. So if you go there, that's my favorite part of the church. These massive, lifelike sculpture, sculptings of the apostles. Uh, and I started to tell the kids today, and then I stopped because I thought it'd be too much. The sculpture of St. Bartholomew, who was skinned alive, he's holding himself, his flesh. Uh, and guys, like, they do the lines of muscles in their arms. I mean, these will blow you away. St. Peter's is objectively more beautiful because they're not working on it all the time. John Lateran, you might be surprised when you walk in, like, it's kind of plain until you see those statues. Wow. Oh. Um, there are tons of dead popes in there, okay? Um, so, I don't know. There's Alexander III, uh, Pope Sergius IV, Pope Clement XII, Pope Martin V, Pope Innocent III, Pope Leo XIII, uh, and Pope... Uh, yeah, anyway, I was going to go through and list. And then there was a ton of popes whose tombs were damaged in the fires or the earthquakes. And frankly, all they could do was kind of bundle up the pieces um, and bury them uh, at St. Pete's. You know, just piles of bones and ashes and things. Um, so, I don't know, I won't bother you with that. There's uh, a big old baptistry, right? Which again, we don't do that anymore, building our own building for a baptistry. Um, but uh, Constantine was baptized there, right? When Constantine saw death was coming, he had clergy who followed him everywhere who were ready to baptize him in danger of death. Right. Um, why? It depends how cynical you are. Right. Constantine did some awful things. Um, and it's so funny, like all these little conspiracy theories about him uh, changing Catholicism. And I'll be honest, they don't stand up to much thought. If Think of it this way. You have a small group of people called Christians. And who are they? By every description of themselves, by every description of them, including their description of themselves, they were poor, unimportant people. Right? They didn't matter. If they mattered, Romans wouldn't butcher them for entertainment. Um, but here they are. And Christianity, it's now illegal to persecute Christians. So Christians all come out of the woodwork and start talking to each other, right? What do you believe? What do you believe? And they find this uniformity of belief and some dissension. But here's the theory of the Constantine, you know, uh, uh, conspiracy people. That he somehow changed the entire religion and all of these people who suffered for the faith didn't care. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about that. 
I mean, it's just ludicrous. If you were a Christian back then, you were only a Christian if you were ready to die for it or at least face torture. When they describe these bishops getting together at Nicaea, they describe how maimed they all were. Ears chopped off, uh, fingers chopped off. The Romans did awful things to Christians. And yet, the conspiracy theorists would tell you that Constantine waltzed into Nicaea and changed Christianity. And it's so weird. Like, who? Yeah. Well, he was powerful. Same power as all the people butchering him before. In fact, less. He was still sharing an empire with, I can't remember his name, Licinius. Licinius and him were co-emperors. He had less power than any emperor in 300 years at that point. It's just dumb. It doesn't stand up to time. Uh, It doesn't stand up to reason. But be this as it may, he wasn't a Christian. His mom was. And uh, we're going to get to her in a minute. Are people enjoying this? Yeah. Okay. I never know with history stuff because I go nuts for it. But here's the key. Constantine had some awful things to do. Uh, Remember how I told you he was co-emperor with Licinius? He spent the next 10 years poking him with a stick, trying to start a war so he could kill him and take total control. Uh, He locked his own wife in a sauna and killed her that way, right? Cranked it up. I mean, he wasn't... So why would he have a priest or what we would call now a bishop follow him around? Well, because back then, the sacrament of reconciliation, nobody was real sure about. What they did know is when you're baptized, all your sins are forgiven, and he wanted to save it up. (laughs) Quite literally. Yeah. This was strategery. You're going to let that word go? Yes. All right. Um, So you've got that. Uh, when his death was close, he had someone baptize him. Uh, and Lateran, the baptistry, baptistry there, is where it happened. So politically, it's important for us. And if Constantine was truly repentant and desirous of heaven and Jesus, then praise God, it's also spiritually significant. But it's hard to tell. It is. I mean, Constantine was a ridiculously arrogant man. Um, and I mean, you gotta be, I think, to be a guy like that. He rebuilt an empire in his own image. That wasn't easy to do. Uh, but so la la la. Uh, now here's where his mom comes in and she's cool. And I remember again, when I first heard this, I had a bit of a cynical, like, come on. Uh, and then a historian named Jerome Murphy O'Connor, um, gave a lecture that I was at, and it blew me away, right? He was at the time considered the preeminent archaeologist in Israel. And, you know, if you go to Israel, you have two extremes that are usually offered to you. One is where they'll say, this exact spot is where Jesus, you know, juggled uh, when he was a seven-year-old. Right. Uh, This exact spot is where this happened. Then you have the other extreme where they're like, well, they say that's where this happened and there's no way. Right. Uh, There's that cynicism, uh, either the exploitive cynicism or the cynicism of trying to appear smart. Okay. Jerome Murphy O'Connor, and I don't know who is now. I haven't been in this in a while. What he said, most people tended to agree with. Like, yep, that's an authentic site. That's an authentic site. He was doing this lecture, and he talked about Helena, Constantine's mom. Uh, She was a Christian, and as soon as Christianity became legal, she pilgrimaged to the Holy Land. And what he told us is the genius of her approach was this. She found Christians in what we call Israel now, and she would say, Where do you guys go? Oh, we go over here. Oh, right over there was Simon's house, right? And if you come over here, like, and to them, this was just second nature because Simon's mom, well, her great-grandchildren lived there. That's how houses worked back then. And so he said, generally, if Helena said this is where something was, time has proven her right because she did it the smart way. She just went and asked Christians. Including, now this will blow you away, where Jesus' tomb is. Um, 
yeah, and we're like, yeah, he was buried right here. And it was hard to tell because Jerusalem had been leveled since Jesus died and rose. But everybody knew. Everybody who cared knew. Well, one of the things she was able to do is bring back the holy stairs. Now, this is right next to Lateran now, but it used to be right inside of it. Uh, these are the stairs from Pontius Pilate's Praetorium. Uh, so these are the stairs Jesus walked up uh, before being scourged and after being scourged and on his way to his crucifixion. Um, his blood soaked into those stairs. And uh, it's pretty cool. Um, now, the marble, what they did, and they got to preserve it and protect it, uh, you can see the marble stairs through the openings in these wood risers that they put them in. Um, so in 1589, Pope Sixtus V, which is just hilarious, Pope Sixtus V, uh, moved them to their present location, which is right across the road from Lateran. But I've been on those stairs a few times. Uh, the tradition is you kneel and you climb up the stairs on your knees and you pray a Hail Mary at each step. Yeah. Um, and then at the very top of the stairs is this glass opening where there is, you can see the marble stairs and you can see that there was blood there. Um, crazy stuff. So that's John Lateran. Yeah. Did we enjoy this? Yeah. Was this helpful? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I love this stuff. It's one of the only feasts our church has that isn't for a specific saint. It's for a geographical location um, that has great import to us. Um, and it's worth your time. Now, I guess, uh, UN, there's, there's like this committee the United Nations does of naming sites to be preserved. And John Lateran was put on that list. So I did have a buddy who said, no, they're actually working on it now. Now, he hasn't been there in three years. But he said, work's getting done. And I know what's interesting is when I went there in 2018, five of the churches I hit, like I told the people I was with, now, guys, you're going to be a little disappointed. Right. All the colors are real muted from from flashes of light, the, the cameras from years of candles uh, and there's going to be scaffolding everywhere. Right. And then you walk in and it just shines like the sun. And it's because the U.N. dollars uh, to clean these up and post the, they say Pope Benedict and Pope Francis uh, push hard for people to actually work on these churches. Like, let's see some progress. Yeah. Um, so good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, oh, do we have questions? Did you say? Uh, one is, is it a UNESCO uh, That's heritage? That's it. That's the word, UNESCO. How'd you know that? somebody wrote it oh okay yeah i i forgot and as soon as you said it that's the word um i also know what's his butt uh, uh john what's his name francis is our first jesuit pope the founder of the jesuit order is ignatius uh of loyola and that church Holy God, the difference from the year 2002 till 2018 when I saw it, I didn't, I, I literally thought I was in the wrong church. I did. I was like, no, and I've never seen this. Like, and Rome is so confusing, it's quite easy to walk into uh, uh, the wrong church. Yeah. Do you know why Rome is a mess? Seriously. Do you want to hear this? Yeah. Do we have any other? Okay. Because like, if you look, everywhere the Romans built cities, they made squares. They were big on this. The Romans, uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, Duncan. He wrote, the Romans were the ultimate A-type personality. And their goal was, when you build a city, someone should be able to take you out of like uh, uh, Nicomedia blindfold you, knock you out, somehow get you all the way to Londinium, put you in the middle of Londinium, and you know exactly where to go. Every city's the same with rational right angles and squares and all this. So then if you've looked at Rome, where you're like, huh? You know, what the hey? Um, it's actually really simple and kind of crazy. When, um, oh gosh, I'm going to say... 400 years before Christ, 
when uh, the Gauls came and attacked Rome. And it was the only time for, well, there were a thousand years between Rome getting pillaged, right? And this was the first one. And they pillaged and raped and plundered and burned, and they were there for months. And the Romans held out in the, what do you call that, citadel. Okay, so you had a small amount of Romans alive in the citadel. You had the Gauls who were trying to get in there and couldn't, but in the meantime, just pillaging, raping, burning, destroying. And then at the end of their time, so the Romans eventually paid them, right? They paid them, and the, 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 the Gauls had to leave. Disease was killing them because it was freaking August. I'm not kidding, right? And they were all getting sick and dying. So they met and they said, okay, how much gold to make you go home? And uh, they gave some measurement. And uh, by the way, side note, crazy story. When uh, the Romans gave the gold and they were measuring it, the Huns were cheating the scales. And one of the Romans said, you guys are cheating. And, uh, and I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. But the guy who led the Gauls took his sword out, threw it on the scales and said, woe to the conquered. And that was the scale then. So what happened? They leave. And the Romans are left with an ugly mess. And it was so bad uh, that they just were going to abandon it. Let's just abandon Rome and we'll move into uh, Via, which was a Etruscan city they just conquered. Okay, and that was set up like they like it, neat and orderly. <laughs> but the crazy thing is, the Roman records say this, that when they were about to vote in the Senate building, which was half chewed up and destroyed, when they were about to vote on moving to Via, outside of the building, unknown to these two guards, one of them yelled, hey boys, let's just stay here. <laughs> and they took it as a sign from the gods. Dead serious. They went, okay, we're staying here. Um, and so they started rebuilding the city, but it wasn't like there was a central government. And by the way, every Etruscan or uh, what do you call Samnites, who they'd been fighting for 80 years and beating, came calling, right? You're kicked and you're down? Well, we're coming. And so they were constantly fighting, and in between fighting, just slapping up what houses they could, slapping up what business they could. Where's a pile of rubber, oak rubble? Okay, we'll build around that. And that's how they did it. And that's why it's such a god-awful mess. Um, and Julius Caesar had it as one of his goals, what, 400 years later, 380 years later, I think, to um, tear it all down and rebuild it in a rational structure, but then he got assassinated. Oops. So that's why Rome's a mess. It is the most confusing city in the world. Have you been there? Have you guys been there? Have you? It's insane. Like one-way streets that just dead end. Uh, there's no straight roads anywhere. Um, it's insane. It is the most, you, you just can't get around. You can't. Uh, that's why they have buses and undergrounds, because anything else, unless you've been there for years. Like, one of my buddies did four years of school there, and when he left, he said, I could get to four places without getting lost. <laughs> hey, for that long. Yeah. Crazy. Okay. Um, so now, I guess we jump topics to the, no? Oh, are we done? I don't have my glasses on. It's 10 minutes. I don't think we have enough time to get in. Oh, I'm sorry, you guys. No. I hope I didn't waste your day. Um, uh, if you get a chance, Google Statues of the Apostles, John Lateran. A lot of people are going to say St. John Lateran, let it go, right? Um, and so it might say that. Those apostles will blow you away. You've never seen anything like it. Um, I think. Hmm? Brennus is the one who threw his sword. Yeah, who knew that? <gasps> Bren. Huh? My Bren? Uh -huh. Oh, Bren Van. Bren Van, we still use those thingers every day. Dad and I just did yesterday on our bowls. <laughs> uh, how did I live that. without those? I don't know. That's how did she know that? That's so glorious. That would have drove me nuts. <laughs> so when Brannis led that, right, that was, uh, can you look up the year? 
Brennus uh, pillage of Rome. I want to say 500 AD, but I think I'm wrong. But then nobody pulled that off again for almost exactly a thousand years. Isn't that crazy? Uh, a guy named Aurelian built the walls that you see today. You know, uh, they have a 410. 410. Okay, 410 AD, and then the Western Romans. It's 390 to Yeah, it's tough to tell, right? Because remember about how I told you guys how they had trouble with calendars. Right. Yeah. They understood some of what we understand now, but they never quite got that the Earth's orbit is elliptical, not circular. And so they had trouble with um, leap year, great trouble with leap year. And so every year they got a little farther off. I think I've told you guys this. And so what they would find is us and they go, wait, we're planting crops in July. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they just fixed the calendar. Okay, guys, it's March. Well, they weren't counting it because... Yeah, didn't matter. It was B.C. Like. Yeah. Oh, yeah, now they kept time by the founding of Rome. Right? But they I mean, they it they, says in 390 BC. or 387 yeah. B.C. So yeah. It's not like they really knew. They had to get to zero and go, oh, yeah, that was... Oh, you mean that? Count? Yeah, because so what they do, you take the founding of the city of Rome, okay. and that's what Romans counted as year zero. Okay. And then they just went one, two, three. So, but even then, they would once in a while go, well, it's, you know, 200 years since the founding of Rome. No, we're thinking it might be 198 or 202, right? They, they knew they were off two years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. You know, if you look at the evolution of time and how unique the way you and I live time is in terms of human history, you know, you, you really think about it. That used to just be, well, how many winters have you been alive? Mm-hmm. Right? And yeah, crazy stuff. Yeah, and so then from four, what, what did you say, what year? Well, I found what she just found. 390 seems to be the right. Okay, so 390 the, BC oh, all the way to 474. 460 or 470 something when Rome fell in the West. Crazy stuff. It says his sack of Rome was the only time in 800 years the city was occupied by a non-Roman army before yeah. the fall of the city to the Visigoths in the 410 And do you want to know how the Romans? Yeah, this is great. Do you want to hear a great story? I mean, and this is weird, right? But when Branas and those guys were controlling Rome um, and the Romans were locked in the citadel, uh, the the Gauls tried to climb this wall. Do you know about this? Like they had it all set up and they were going to pull it off. And do you know what stopped them? I kid you not, the sacred geese that the Romans kept started making a ruckus and woke all the Romans in the citadel up. And that's the only reason that they didn't take the citadel. Isn't that a riot? And I can even tell you there was a guy named... Um, Manlius or Malius, I can't remember, who kind of kept them going during the dark days in that citadel, starving to death. Um, Yeah. And he uh, charged off the rock to chase off these Gauls. But then, like, I don't know, 10 years later, he was executed uh, by him being thrown off that rock, which is how they killed people back then. They would th- execute him. Is it Malleus or Manlius? Do you know? He was, he was trying to take power, uh, trying to use his fame because he was revered and honored. Uh, and the whole reason, can I, can I go on? We got time. This has nothing to do with Jesus. The whole reason the Gauls were able to take out Rome is because they had just driven away Camillus, who was probably the greatest leader they ever had, um, uh, they would name people dictator. And it wasn't like the word we use dictator. It was an honored title. What it meant is we trust you so much and the uh, problems are so vast. We need one man for one year whose word is law and they can clean up all the mess. But then after you serve that title, you have to step down and move away. You can never have political power again. Right. Camillus did this five times. They beg him 
come back and save us. And he would, but they hated him for it. They hated him for cleaning up the corruption. You know, right? I mean, it's so classic of humans. Save us, he saves us. Get away! Um, so uh, the last time, they actually killed his son and drove him out of the city. And so he left the city and just lived on his farm for the next six, seven years. And when the Gauls invaded, he wasn't there to save them, right? This great leader in general. So they sent uh, someone to run and get him. And the testimony was, you know, it took a couple days to get to his farm that they found him plowing his field, right? And that the guy, when he saw this Roman rider coming to him, he said, what horrors have befallen my beloved city, right? And so he gathered all the ancillary Romans, right? The Romans who weren't in the city of Rome. And when the Gauls were leaving with all this treasure, he found them, whooped their butt, and brought all the treasure home. And then they kicked him out of the city again. Isn't that cool? Or was that Cincinnatus? Oh, that wasn't Camillus. That was Cincinnatus, sorry, which is why it was so important Right to the society uh, of Cincinnatus. That's why they named the city Cincinnati to honor this beautiful farmer, warrior, beast who just had no pride, no ego. All he cared about was his beautiful republic. Cincinnatus. I got Camillus and him mixed up. They're both dead. I didn't even know they were sick. Okay, so I filled you with useless knowledge, and it's Jesse's fault. And he will be begging everyone's forgiveness. I blame, actually, you know who I blame this all on? Rhonda. Rhonda. No hot dogs? Yeah. I don't know why she hates God in America. Hot dogs are good in the winter, as it turns out, too. Okay, I think that's everything. Do we have a guest tomorrow? I didn't even look. Is it that young lady, Kristen? No, Karen. Karen Kersey. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. So, oh, here she is. So for those of you who don't know Karen, she's a goddess, and I love her. Um, we're going to get to know her and about her bish and bash, a cause that raises money uh, for her drug problem. No, did I read that wrong? Oh, sorry. It raises money by, uh, she creates these, not just her. Anyway, it's beautiful. There's these handcrafted Christmas ornaments, yeah. and the money goes to help uh, people in the hospital. Well, it's uh, the kids uh, yeah. um, at, at the DeVos Children's Hospital in Grand Rapids. Well, I can't believe they get Christmas to meet Christians. her. Uh, you guys, I love this check, and I can't wait for you to meet her and to hear about her beautiful ministry and I have found her to just be a lovely lovely thoughtful kind do you think we'll get to see Martha too I don't know but I really hope because they're kind of inseparable yeah now I do want to be clear she is a Wolverine and we forgive her for this (laughs) kind of Ish. Ish, yeah. Ish. If we would have won, then I'd forgive her easily. Yeah, right. But they beat us, so now I'm filled with rage. We have to hold a grudge now. Yeah. You guys need to beat Ohio State. I'm serious. You've got to finish this. Don't you think? Now, I look at last year. Is there part of you rooting for Ohio State a little bit? I don't know. It, until it becomes clear, like, did you see they released a video, and now it's pretty clear a Michigan kid threw the first punch, yeah. right, in the hallway. And now there's another, there's two more people testifying. No, they started the fight. Now, no starting of a fight justifies waving your helmet around. And and the 12 on 2, okay. I mean, a fight's a fight. But, uh, right? I mean, you know, it's like, well, what's a fair fight? You know, a corner bag versus a D end? What's a fair fight? I don't know. But I know 12 on 2 isn't good. Yeah. But either way, it'll be interesting to see what happens when all this shakes out, because that's going to tell me a lot about who I'm rooting for. But I'm going to root for Michigan just because I can't stand Ohio State. Sorry, I love you guys. Uh, is it streakers who are big Buckeyes? You think so? Although, who do yeah, I think can yeah. beat Georgia? Ohio State. Mm-hmm. There you go. What do you think? You're a Wolverine. I, think so. I don't know. Man, your run game is scary. Because you can stop either of those halfbacks if you do everything perfectly and if they're sick. But then you got a quarterback who can run as good as either of them and throw the ball just for something crazy. It is fast.
fast. Dad and I were watching him. We were, we were cheering for him last week. That kid turns on the afterburners, and you're like, that's not right. So I don't know. I don't know. I need Michigan to finish this because they beat us. Right? Fair and square. Heads up. Man to man. No, huh? Thomas Haney is a buck net. What's that? Thomas Haney is a buck net. I didn't know that. Um, I got to stop not liking Buckeyes because so many of these beautiful people are Buckeyes. Seriously. Streakers are amazing. I love Thomas. He's beautiful. How's he feeling? I think he's doing well. He, he oh, went good. through his surgery well. Been worried about you, bro. Okay, so I'm going to stop yapping. We will uh, pray. And then tomorrow you guys get to meet Karen, whom I just adore. And and Karen, if you feel like bringing cookies, there's no one here who will be upset Thank with you. you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and if she brings Martha with her, there's a chance Martha brings cookies. No pressure. But if you want God to love you. <laughs> no? Just Don't forget, check out if you can on my Facebook page or Bishop Earl's Facebook page. He put a beautiful, inspirational video up, uh, for, especially for those of you heartbroken about Proposal 3. Yeah? Um, so, uh, yay. All right. Salad pray. Oh, wow, that's a huge squirrel. Did you see that thing? I thought it was a freaking dragon. Yeah. Sorry, you should have seen this thing. Did you see it? That thing could take a cat. All right. What were we doing? Pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus. The buildings that we make to glorify you, they're a gift. And we're so grateful, but we also know they're passing. But that... That which those buildings celebrate, that's eternal. And more beautiful than John Lateran or St. Peter's or Mater Dei are, are the living stones that we are in your church. And we're so grateful to be a part of something so eternal and so beautiful. And help us to be faithful in our life as church people giving of ourselves and participating with our whole heart, mind, and soul so that we worship you, so that we care for the poor and the vulnerable, and so that we grow in our knowledge and in our understanding. Fill our churches with beautiful hearts, Lord. And let us know the wonder of your love today. For all the people, Lord, that we love very much and we worry about, and for all of those circumstances in our lives that we fret about, we give it all to you, Lord, because we love you and we trust you. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My Kung Fu is strong. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Peace. Oh, unless I die. I won't see you tomorrow if I die. Is it over? No, it's never over.